Hello, welcome to this episode of the In A Good Way podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Jacob. And today we have some very special guests here. He's Pratik, he didn't introduce himself. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot my name, guys. Uh, I'm Pratik. And today we have some very special guests. We have... Albi. And? Harrison. And these are two of the most requested guests. <laughs> yes, more the most requested. <laughs> yeah, so we have some very interesting topics for you guys today. Um, the first topic is free speech in colleges. So I'm just going to go straight into it and ask you, Avi. Yes. To what extent do you think free speech should be regulated in colleges? Um, I don't think free speech should be regulated in colleges. I think people should be able to say whatever they want. Now, I think free speech to a certain extent is limited to the sense that if it impedes on somebody else's ability to speak freely, it should be restricted. That was actually beautiful. I know. Harrison, do you have another Yeah, Harrison. Well, uh, I just want to comment on right now the policy is that if the free speech were to, like, say, promote drug use or do something illicit or dangerous, then the free speech would be regulated. So... I believe there's nothing wrong but does with that. Does that drugs. make it free speech? Because I think we need to redefine what free speech is. Free speech, so, you know, I believe, is the ability no, no. to speak freely. Yeah, because, no, no, but speaking freely includes talking about uh, inappropriate things, uh, dangerous things. So is it free speech if it's been regulated? Do we even have free speech? Hold up. Inappropriate things are a part of life. Okay. Exactly. Everything is inappropriate. I would say, I guess... This is kind of a further application of what you're talking about. There are these hearings in, I think, the 80s. They called them the porn rock hearings uh-huh. in the Senate. And it was basically just about uh, different music being bad for people. And uh, some of the people who spoke at that were um, Frank Zappa. And I'm having trouble remembering anyone else. I'm sorry. I watched his Frank Zappa speech for the, on it. For the oh, uh, Frank Zappa is a musician who was active 60s 80s he has some of them he has a really large number of albums and a lot of his songs are not morally okay a lot of them are rather inappropriate and um they all have really interesting instrumental stuff he does but basically the hearings talked about regulation in that industry and what was allowed there i think Here's okay, so here's my thing to that. So I think there are two ways to look at free speech in colleges. And there are two conditions where you have to like uh, really examine it. The first one is inappropriate content like um, we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And um, so before we get to the second part, um, I want to talk more about whether do you think that how how do you think like uh, for example, you said that um, promoting inappropriate content should not be regulated, right? Yes. Do you think there's any limit to that? No. Okay, well well I wanna comment on that. Um this is just my opinion. I don't have any evidence backing this up, but I think the prevalence of like hip hop and rap music, which uh, I think it promotes the use of drugs and that the consumption among high schoolers is actually increased. Not, I don't know how by how much, but I'm guessing at least a little bit. Completely agree. The consumption yeah. of drugs is increased because rappers like to endorse drugs, basically. Let me, uh, let me say something special here. Um, it's still good music, but. Yes, when we're promoting this stuff, we're not only promoting drugs, but some of what these singers sing is just straight pornography. And so I believe that the promoting of drugs is already being promoted by rappers. Therefore, if people want to talk about this promotion, if people want to talk about drugs, it shouldn't be a big deal that campuses should stop it. There, it, there shouldn't be any regulation because along with the amount of people that are promoting it, there's also people against it. And we're for letting those people that are against it speak, but not the people promoting it speak. That's completely that unfair. Hold, hold up. Okay, okay. See, here's my thing to that. Okay, so look, 
it's pretty obvious that the people that promote drugs are way more effective in advertising it than the people who are anti-drug. For example, look at the uh, the campaigns. Um, what are the the truth ones? The truth campaigns for the cigarettes. They absolutely suck. They they're pretty repetitive. They almost make me want to smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, those ads are not as effective as movies such as Atomic Blonde and Netflix came under fire for this, where it shows people smoking and that being shown as cool and something desirable. That's much more effective than seeing some Muppets barf up towels because yeah. they're smoking. Yeah, so it is way more effective. So then you have to look at the fact that do colleges have an obligation, you know, because they are for education. They're supposed to be, you know, um, improving the lives of the next generation. What we're saying right now is that they're more efficient at promoting it. Yes. But in that respect, shouldn't other people get more efficient at demoting it? Yeah, but they're not, though. They could. It's well, just we're is, not working to our abilities. Nobody's really supporting, supporting well, the, the thing truth is that, except for, like, middle-aged mothers. The thing <laughs> is that the people that are, you know, um, trying to do, go anti-drugs mm-hmm. is the institutions. They're not, you know, the actual people. They're not the culture. For example, hip hop, well, that's what really makes the mood different. Well, there's a lot of artists that don't smoke weed and they've actively like come out about it. I think Gucci Mane even like Gucci Mane supported a campaign saying that they should get young rappers off of drugs and stopping them from like committing these like sins against people and like promoting it towards them. It's it's I don't believe it's morally correct or incorrect. I do believe the health consequences of this stuff is really bad for you. But at the same time I feel like it's people's choices. I, I have self consciousness to not go for it because I just don't want to. It's something that I don't think ever turns out right, ever. Mm, yeah, Even but you're like 17. Think about really small children exposed to this music. Do they really have free will at their age? Well, I was a child exposed to this music. Like even when I was younger, all this stuff was still there. All the weed, smoke weed every day. The meme was super big back then. Two chains. Yeah, I kind of, I just kind of agree with that. Yeah. But um, see, nowadays you ha- you do have rappers um, like coming out. Like for example, like Russ. Rutz is, you know, he was actually, he actually made a song about, you know, that was really anti-drugs. Um, and he got a lot of criticism for it, though. Oh. The entire rap community came after him. Um, and he got a lot of hate for that. But that, the thing is that I do have to agree with Abby on this, that it is free will. But at the same time, I think you still have to look at it and see. Um, you can't just openly, like, I think, uh, exp- exp- uh, pretty much just show it around. I think these drugs are actually making parents' jobs harder. Because, like, parents are now having to, like, stop these influences from reaching their children. But as these kids go to public school or private school, they're exposed they're to these on a daily basis. Well, in things. terms of parenting, yeah. the parents have to, like, parent their kids so that they are able to make their own decisions. Basically yeah. just teach them yeah, the consequences. The, the problem is these days those own decisions well, think, are actually somebody else's decision. I think one of the really easy ways to reach people, especially now, is to show before and after pictures That's of true. people who do drugs. Because, mm. I mean, you, oh, got, say, you, got, you got a those young kid. Crazy. They see like, oh, this person looked all right. What's that after? I mean, it's so undesirable. That I think it could re- that's an effective way well, to like, scare people okay, out of it. Let's, let's go back to Gucci Mane. Before he went to prison, he smoked weed, he drank, he did drugs and all that. Yeah. After he came out of prison, he did the same stuff. But like in when he came out, he looked beautiful. He had a six pack. He had like great muscles. And when he, he went in, he was fat. His album sold so much better. Yeah, after. and his album sold so much better. I don't. What did he go into prison for? I have no idea. I mean, he probably had like. Oh, possession charges. Oh, probably, probably. most likely. And um, 
No, like rappers, I feel like like Travis Scott even, they looked... It was on firearm position. Yeah, ah. so, so back in the day, you know, they didn't look that great, but now they're like fantastic looking. Because makeup can cover up so much about a person. Yeah. Makeup can completely remove the effect of drugs on a human being. Mm. You can't even see what happened to them. Drugs are like silent killers almost. You don't see the outward effects most of the time. What happens, happens on the inside. It changes your psyche. It changes some parts of your body. And in the end, you don't even realize you're affected until it's too late. Well, then you have rappers that, you know, they were open about their drug use. And, like, yeah. for example, Juice World, he was open about it. He never said that. He said, like, straight up that that um, he struggled from the drug use. He, he made songs about how it uh, literally hurt him, and it was, like, it was a pain. But he also made songs about how he used drugs to get over the pain. Yeah, and that's really what a lot of rappers do. For example, yeah. like, look at uh, NBA Youngboy. He does that a lot. Oh, yeah. And, like, I feel like that... That is the worst offender right there. When you use drugs, when you use it all, when you're in a low time, because that is how what that's, leads, addiction. that's what leads to addiction. When yeah. you when you use it simply to have fun, it's easy to stop. There's control there. But when you make the conscious decision, when you're not in the right state of mind to make that decision, yeah. you get stuck in a bad place that you can't come back from. I think it's also really important now that musicians tour less often and do less dates on a tour mm -hmm. because in the 70s 80s time managers actively gave drugs to their acts so that they could get through all the shows they'd mm -hmm. give them cocaine or some other stimulant to get them through the show and then at that point to get them to sleep they'd give them some sort of depressant and that starts a terrible pattern. I think that's one of the ways that drug use really infiltrated that industry. Oh, yeah, because it'll make those actors dependent. Well, I feel like the difference is, yeah, I kind of agree with that. So um, the difference is that the people that take um, drugs based on, you know, rap or the other influences, they're not taking it for, uh, like, yeah. uh, addiction. They're taking it for fun. Yeah. Because I think about, it's cool. Yeah. Exactly. The thing about these rappers is... Like, we think it happened when they got into the industry, but actually they were affected by it at a very young age. Like, a very, very young age. Like, when they got affected by drugs, it was when they were children. Like, we can actively hear stories of rappers selling weed, crack, any, oh, like, yeah. major drugs yeah, as like children Jay -Z, yeah. for their kids. I mean, for their fathers, for their kids, just to provide money for something, for anyone, for themselves. And the... It's not really their faults that they're now hooked on it. It's just a society. We can't blame a society because society doesn't know what they're doing. There's somebody over there in like Saudi Arabia that thinks it's okay to like kill a woman because there's because she's like dishonorable or something. But we can't judge them because they don't know what's wrong. Their society states that it's right, and our society states that it's wrong. And the only thing we can do is to help a society learn, learn our values. We don't know if they're better. But for us, we they're better, and how it you, results in the less results how, in less. Death. How do you propose we do that, like as a culture? I don't know because I don't think there's any inherent good or bad in this world. Everything becomes good or bad when we assign any personal value to it whatsoever. That's actually beautiful. That's that was so good. Probably the best rant we've ever had in the podcast. Hmm. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, you guys want to move on to the next topic? Well, I think I want to talk about the second part of the free speech. So, mm -hmm. hate speech. Oh, hate speech. Yeah, because oh, yeah. that's the second part of it. That's yeah, where so, does it have to be regulated? And how, if so, how do you do it? Yeah, about bullying? Is how, bullying something we can talk about? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, bullying. Uh, back in the day, back when I was a kid, it was a huge issue. It was in like every movie, TV show yeah. that you could possibly imagine. 
Um, it's recently receded. Uh, I don't think we've had any like major bullying reports in like the last ten years. But um, yeah, I think one of the this might sound harsh, but I believe that bullying was a sort of Darwinism, and that <laughs> it was a survival of the fittest, in which children with rolly backpacks <laughs> were, were seemingly eliminated off the face of the planet. <laughs> okay. No, hold on. What about at airports? Rolly, rolling, okay, like not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not defending backpacks. rolling backpacks. I'm defending rolling luggage. Suitcases are okay. I mean, it, it's hard yeah, to yeah. carry that many stuff with, like, it's too much. Yeah. Yes. Good. But it's when we get to the rolly backpacks that the issue rises again. <laughs> but here's the thing so i get what you're trying to say i think that um if for example like look at like the melania trump right like the first way she's actively trying to do in i think an anti-bullying campaign if i'm not yeah, yeah right now i think something like that is it cyberbullying specifically yeah cyberbullying cyberbullying i feel is actually very i think that's gotten i think bullying shifted but I don't it think used to be beating up a kid for lunch money or saying things verbally but i think society as a whole has moved away from that both because it's not socially acceptable. I mean, look at cancel culture. I mean, it's oh, also yeah. just because people don't feel comfortable doing stuff like that anymore. They feel like, oh, you know, I can uh, go online and nobody will know yeah, it's me. They have to hide behind a mask to do it. Yeah. yeah. Which I feel like is even worse because yeah. there's no way to stop it. Well, you can't just go to a parent or like a teacher at that point. Yeah, and even if you report the count, you know, there's just they create I'm, another account and keep going on. I feel like cyberbullying has taken too many lives for me to like legitimize it in any way. For me to like say that free speech is something we need because it's it's I again like I said about the good or bad and the personal value. I, I believe it's truly evil and, and like the way people use it is like unwarranted in any like in every sense of the word is unwarranted. It's it's not needed. There's no process of survival of the fittest. It, it, there's no point in it whatsoever in that people just need to get their insecurities out. The only way we can really stop cyberbullying is impossible. It's, it's providing therapy to these people that have their own issues. It's telling people that no matter what their issue is, it can be solved. It's impossible. People, people don't have the ability to fix everyone's problems. You can try as much as you want, but there's no way to do it. And I think that goes back to the ever-important issue of mental health. Yeah. And specifically, I, I think it's a systemic issue. I don't think it's um, something that's, you know, that's because of a certain event or anything. And, um, for example, like social medias. Like, if you actually look at the algorithms that Facebook uses, um, that uh, Instagram uses, Twitter uses, whatever, all these, all these platforms, they all have this algorithm to create a bubble around you. Oh, yeah. Whatever you like, they're going to show you that it's similar content. Loop. Yeah. And that's all their um, algorithms are designed to... But, I mean, if it does the opposite, will they have users? Like, if you're, say, a really far-left Democrat, do you, would you use a social media that would say would only show you far-right content? I would say the same thing for either thing. You wouldn't use it if it shows you the opposite. Well, think of about it thing. that way. It doesn't have to... Because, uh, like, showing them the opposite content is still... The same mythology. It's just completely reversed. Yeah. What you have to do so is... So I would say something in the middle would be more yeah. effective. You have to really like base it off not only not the interests, 
but more of what they're trying to look for, like their personality, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Really, yeah. the, what's not revealed just through that like button. I mean, because they know everything about you, anyways. If you go to Facebook, you can look at all oh, the yeah. stuff they tab on you. They mm. tab your political affiliation, what you like, all that. They could easily figure out what political inter- issues might interest you and what side you might agree with on one of those, and what opinion might be useful for no, you. No, but hear. this goes back to something else because. Another thing that social media provides is the ability to fake. You're allowed to create an entirely different person than who you are. And the only thing that can share is your face and your name. Your personality is different. Your interests are different. Your life is totally different from what people see. You don't send pictures of you at school. You send pictures of you at some event in like God knows what town, Timbuktu. And the point is that Country. people... Yeah. Oh, wait. wait. I thought Timbuktu was a city in Mali. I think it is. I think a city in Mali. <laughs> but either way, You're I think right, the right. point is, I think you have still have a point there. Um, that went going with along with the thing about being fake, right? Do it, it goes back to like for example, once you are fake for so long, mm-hmm. is it even being fake? Ooh, ooh, what was the quote you had? Yes. So that the said quote that so it well. was, um, if you wear, um, uh, at what point does a mask stop being a mask? Something similar to that, right? For example, we should ask Future to answer this question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some of you guys get the reference, hopefully. Um, But basically, you guys can cyberbully me for that. (laughs) (laughs) For example, on Instagram, there's a there's a great Lonegut quote that expresses the same thing: "We are what we pretend to be." Mm. So, I mean, it's ultimately just whoever you act like. Eventually, you're going to become that person. It's. Um, this is a terrible example. One time, my sister had me watch the movie Mean Girls. Oh my god! And <laughs> have you seen that one, Avi? I don't know where this is going, but uh, okay. basically, she pretends to be a really terrible, cliche, popular girl, and by the end of the movie, she pretty much is. Sounds sounds, sounds very yeah. That sounds cool. Well, I believe it's really hard to fake a person's like entire life because people well, start to see the cracks that come before. I think it's like not protection. necessarily faking it. I think it's showing different parts of your life. I think it's showing the best parts of your life, creating this highlight reel of your life, making yourself yeah, seem I think like the, the eternal highlight. I think the issue is when people use social media and they don't realize that everybody else is doing that and they feel bad about their own life. Mm. Well, okay. So, like, by the way, the quote I was trying to say was, "How do I take off a mask when it stops being a mask?" when it's as much as a part of me as I am. See, that I think that grapples with the issue of mental illness. Like the, the point where you create this persona for yourself and you don't even realize you created it, but now you're stuck as it. That is probably one of the hardest issues to deal with because at that point, even though you're aware of the issue, you don't know how to stop it. And that's the scariest thing. It's like sleep paralysis. You're aware of what's going on, but you can't do anything about it. You're in this physical Ooh. state of awareness, but you're unable to, to fix the problem for so for me personally i would say it's not more uh like for example like i, I personally don't use social medias that much mm-hmm. right pretty much at all actually right. but um there is something that i still do like for example i will definitely still show certain sides of myself mm-hmm. to certain people and i think that's something that a lot of people do oh, um, yeah. whether they acknowledge it or not um but the problem is i think is when you struggle to find out what part of yourself is the real you and I don't yeah. think I don't think yeah. a lot of people know that. Um, and I think that's something that our generation specifically well, struggles with. I think people do don't. We, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, don't, I think people don't spend time thinking about themselves and what they what like. They think about oh, this other person I know likes this, so I should look at it too. Yeah, and maybe thinking. it's good. <laughs> I very agree with that. 
Okay, but you guys are speaking as though we all have an actual like an entity, something that we are. Is that even does that even exist or do I I am of the opinion that we actually shape everything about ourselves and that if you wanted to change, you just change you. You're not deviating from who you really are, you're changing who you are. I think it's based off your personal experience and stuff. Yeah, the, some of it's going to be out of your control, things that other people do towards you. But I think most of it is what you do. Yeah, I think there are some things that are internal and that can't change. But I think most qualities can eventually change over time. Well, I mean, here, here's the thing we're talking about systemic influence is that your qualities will change over time. I think you're born with inherent qualities. You have these certain qualities that make you who you are. You have the qualities that make you Jacob, Pratik, Harrison, God. <laughs> <laughs> And then, okay. <laughs> and then what happens is that society molds you over time. Whether it's a good mold or a bad mold, the problem is that society in the end takes over. We're not in an age of individualism. We've greatly passed that. I actually read a really good article about this. Actually, um, pretty much exactly what you're trying to say is, look, before society, um, we're all like back in like that was like the 40s, 50s, right? Yeah. We're trying to be the conformity movements mm-hmm. and all that. And um, then came social media. Like fast forward a long time, right? Social media came, and eventually, when we started becoming more connected with each other, yeah. so we're starting to go back to individualism. But the problem is, we don't know how. Yeah, it's because we still have that social media, um, that well, still the mentality of it. The problem with social media is that it does promote a form of groupthink still, even within the individualism, because someone can say something on social media, or we had some good examples last year of people saying one regrettable thing or doing one regrettable thing and that being put on social media and that person's life being ruined and that promotes a sort of crowd think in which people gang up on other people mm. on social media. And also if you look at like the housing movements, like a lot of people want to move from outside of the inner cities to, you know, rural areas, yep. suburbs. That's something that's just started in this in like this generation or the generation before that. That's something that we've constantly had to struggle with. We've had to separate ourselves from this big group. Oh yeah. And makers and find a community that, um, whether it's online, um, with a couple of people, family, etc., whatever it may be, that's something that this generation has to struggle with. And I think something that's going to be influential in guiding any of our decision making uh, throughout the next maybe yeah. 40, 50 years. I think before we saw like vigorous patterns of movement into the inner city, and like now we're starting that's to see that. Person, yeah, yeah and, and slowly we're starting to move out of cities to create like. To reduce the effect of these urban centers, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, maybe this promotion of individualism making us all hillbillies. We would never know. <laughs> it's like the whole point is that like people are starting to reduce their like reliance on a huge crowd, and they're starting to like they want more personal connections now. Because after this reliance on social media, I think people have like genuinely realized that their their personal connections don't mean as much anymore, and they're starting to realize that they want more personal connections with people you know maybe that's like probably like it's probably a pretty optimistic view of what's going on now i'd want to think that everyone wants to create social like personal connections now and like people are starting to address the importance of family matters but i mean to be honest it could just be that they're just getting bored of society i think this provides a good transition into specifically social media and free speech regulation how different platforms define what is hate speech and what is not so Harrison, what's your? I think it's dangerous letting social media, letting these private corporations define what is hate speech and free speech. Like, um, what was it, Facebook? Don't they have the? 
um, that thing where they basically have a bunch of people they've hired to moderate comments and well, yeah, that's also and basically pretty much. like what if those moderators had a certain political bias or what if Facebook had a hidden agenda that they were secretly enforcing through this. So I, I just think it sets up a dangerous precedent. I mean, that's it's unlikely thing with the Cambridge Analytica scandal yeah. um, a couple years ago with the election. So are you thinking about, like, uh, maybe do you think like they can make an algorithm? Because I think it's impossible to predict what hate speech can be. Because, like, people are able to... This is yeah. the thing. We could look at something, we could be like, dang, I agree with that. But then we could also look at something and be like, dang, this is, like, truly hateful. But it could just be, like, a piece of constructive criticism. We wouldn't know. Like, yeah, it's also we can't tell the difference. It's hard to program that. Yeah, and we can't tell the intentions of the people behind it because this is social media. It's all behind a screen. You know, there's like a select few people that know what that person was really trying to say. But then if you leave it to the people to moderate, then you end up with these um, biases. These gains. Yeah, yeah and, and like where someone will say something which maybe is a little bit regrettable, but then their life is just completely ruined. Right, yeah, cancel culture. Yeah. Stuff you say like 10 years you know, ago can really oh. ruin you. Yeah, do people deserve to leave terrible lives for all like, for the rest for the remainder of their lives for one thing they said? I think which a good they were saying that like under influence maybe. I think a good example for cancel culture would be James Gunn with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and how he was removed from directing the third movie of a series he had worked on and made successful from basically nothing due to some comments said, I believe. 10 years before the actual day i think it's really interesting that people look that far back into someone because i know i'm not the same person i was 10 years ago because i was like hmm. seven 10 years ago yeah. but i mean even <laughs> people older like that 10 years is a really long time and people can truly change and i i think that's really interesting and then they ended up hiring him back so I, they went through all that wait but here's the thing though like we also have like uh, allegations of people raping somebody 10 years ago that never came out because it wasn't that big of a deal back then. that's true yeah. but they don't want mm -hmm. these people to achieve political power so they come out with this information so that they can stop these people they're accused of lying i can't know whether they're lying or not to be honest if you asked me a couple like years ago i would have been like yes this this, this person is probably lying because this person is famous and wants fame but, and to be honest, like even like a couple weeks ago, before this was explained to me by Dr. Bissett, the Me Too movement almost seemed like a witch hunt to me. Like a reason to just get on guys for no reason. But then after reading the results, after reading what actually happened, I saw that the vast mm. majority of cases had some basis in truth. And yeah. that it actually could, really helped. In, it was instrumental in solving so many cases and so many problems with the world. And I think rape culture these days has become huge. I mean, it's... Even bigger than it used to be? Yeah, way bigger than it used to be. I mean, like, even, this might be kind of weird, but going back to, like, India now, there's so much, there yeah. have been a lot of problems oh, yeah. recently with it. And so um, now people are finally starting to care. The yeah, government the, the, the police, yeah. did the, they did that execution. Yeah. And so um, they're, like, they're finally starting to put some sort of importance whatsoever into rape cases, and they're starting to understand, like, that this is a real issue that needs to be stopped. And before it, they put it on the back burner, pretty much every time the case was put on the back burner, unless it was someone important or famous. But now that the issue has like gained some traction, it's it's like it's running. It's like a snowball. It's basically snowballing down like a, the Mount Everest. And I think it's a responsibility. Uh, I think why it's really hard is because some of these um, famous uh, you know figures, it's they're they're most people we looked up to. Oh yeah, and. When the like this stuff comes out about them, we, we are our initial reaction is, 
this is not possible. We want to oh, believe like them. With Bill Cosby and with Michael Jackson. I mean, Bill yeah, Co- Michael Jackson was a big one. Yeah. I mean, Bill Cosby, I think, is insane because he was so well respected, not just for his comedy, but for being a genuinely good person. And all these mm-hmm. things come out. It's not just one or two. It's an incredibly large number of people who like abused something. over time. I mean, the same with Michael Jackson, respected by a lot of people. His music's widely loved. And then Remembering Neverland comes out. Yeah. Is that what that was called? I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. His, house is, his house is called Neverland, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, his house had like a theme park yep. in it. Yeah, he was this, you know, this uh, this um, this figure that we grew all to, we all grew to love. We listened to his music while we were growing up, and was it was so influential. Yeah. And um, I don't know, Michael Jackson, just personally to me, was someone I looked up to a lot, it just as a young child. Um, my parents essentially like made me listen to a lot of Michael Jackson as a kid because his music truly had some really good things to say. Oh, like Man in the Mirror. Yeah, Man in the Mirror, yeah. Earth Song. I mean, there were actually some, there were some bangers. But <laughs> um, I mean, when the allegations came out, I was still like too young to actually understand what was happening. I was like... Okay, I don't really care. Just let me listen to his music. But as an adult, like, I'm 18. Thank you very much. Um, I was very, like, it, it kind of hit me that, like, this was an actual issue. That, like, he might have he might have done those things. Yeah. And we don't know. It's all alleged. But, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of terrifying because you never really know the demons that are haunting a person. For me, it was R. Kelly. Like, before, you know, like, when I was young, um... There, R. Kelly had these uh, music series, uh, music video series called Trapped in the Closet, mm-hmm. and they were perhaps what, what I thought at the time they were super creative. And he had these music um, so- songs that were oh, R and B classics. Yeah. And um, before before we even looked into the allegations, because the allegations came out, but no no major uh, news outlet picked them up ever. Amazing. And then all recently, like in the past two years, you have all these allegations coming out about someone who a lot of people looked up to and was really a famous rich guy who he was a legend he was absolutely a legend without a doubt i mean his music was influential at the time i mean nobody really realizes it but his influence in music and like especially like that kind of culture r&b hip-hop it's major yeah it's major it's 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 really crazy and like these allegations releasing like they kind of broke people's hearts i mean like even when they release people they really care but when they gain traction it really broke people i think that's more of the problem that um that that uh, people have against the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. It's that these are they are these figures that it's breaking uh, their icons. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> they don't want to believe I mean, it. It's ruining yeah. their perception. They're it's ruining their perception of reality. It's it's the, in our day and age, icons are everything. These famous people are who we look up to. It's who we base our lives after. It's like it's it's who we care about. We don't even care about ourselves that much. When this artist drops a collaboration with a clothes brand, we buy it. It could be a thousand dollars. We waste the money. We can spend that money anywhere else, investing anything. But we choose to buy these things actively because we pursue that connection with that artist, that figure, that actor, anything, anything to bring us closer to that. Yeah, and I think that begs the question: To what extent can you still respect and listen to someone for their talent when you know that they're a bad person? Like a good example would be in baseball. The Yankees had an 18-win pitcher uh, named Domingo Herman who played well all season, and then right before the postseason, he decided that it would be a good idea to hit his girlfriend 
in public. So to what extent can you still respect his ability to play and use him as a player when he's doing things like I mean, that? Look at Antonio Brown. That's probably yeah. way more recent. A lot of, There was like a report today that I think like almost every team in the NFL wants to sign him even though he has those allegations against him. So you just got to think, like, is you can't measure the merit of a player versus their moral well-being. You can't. It's physically impossible. There's no tangible numbers for it. There's no way to measure it. There's no way to compare it against one another. But I think that – and you can't really measure the severity of a crime, too. So this is actually a really tricky situation because as a NFL fan, I love Antonio Brown. He's a fantastic wide receiver, and he has been since he was with the Steelers. And he, I'm pretty sure every year he's been in top five wide receivers when he was with the Steelers. So I, I don't want to like, I don't want to say that he doesn't deserve to play, but he doesn't deserve to play. I mean, the these allegations until they're cleared at least, we shouldn't be worshiping. We shouldn't be worshiping him. We shouldn't be allowing him to gain this much money, even though he's done all these bad things. What's stopping me from like hurting somebody and just getting money? Like, why should, and this is another thing, why are they held at lower moral standards than we are? How come they can get away with these things and still make buttloads of cash, more than I'll ever see in my whole life, but they're allowed to continue? There's still time while we don't. <laughs> well, I think the question it goes back to is, um, is, do you think, okay, like, you know how there's this theory that um, basically, like, all the people that are really successful and famous, and to get to that point, they were pretty much they're pretty much have to be like a little crazy or a little centric. Oh man, you have to be cruel. I mean, you, you have to to in order to make it specifically in the business world, you have to be cutthroat. There could be like a, a family business that that's doing better than you. It's all family run, just this really cute family. But you have to like you have to get them out of business because you need that. You need that business. I mean, like this takes me back to the episode of The Office, which is bad. But it's a really oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's an episode of The Office where specifically there was this Prince family, and um, they had to uh, Michael and Dwight, two of the employees, had to go put them out of business by taking their clients. Is this a bad thing? Is is it bad that big businesses can snuff out small businesses like this? Sure, morally it may be, but in the business world, all that matters is that you make money, you make your business flourish. Because at that point, you should not care about those other you should not care about those other businesses those other employees at that point your priority is the employees in your company not them and you also have again the, like the small companies yeah. that do the same things as large companies of it's all it's all life but um i think the next thing i want to transition into and this is a beautiful conversation by the way like one of the deepest we've ever had um i want to transition into a little bit uh, something a little bit more lighthearted: the cinema of marvel movies do you ad- agree or disagree so we're talking specifically with the famous directors such as Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola, talking about how Marvel movies are not necessarily the best things for people. For example, Scorsese said, I didn't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. And Coppola called Marvel movies despicable. Well, what do you on. think? I don't think they're despicable. Look, I have read comics from a very young age. I love them. They created this this image for me of superheroes, of being able to do anything. They're a positive influence in my life, and they've done nothing but lead me the right way. To be able to see these in like a Hollywood production has been amazing for me. I don't think plot-wise they're the most interesting movies, but I think visuals-wise, and I think just nostalgia-wise, they're amazing. They create stories that people like. 
It's not despicable. It's money grubbing. Sure, fine. But it's bringing me enjoyment. Why would I really care? But what do you call it? Cinema. Yes. Cinema is meant to entertain. And if it's doing the entertaining... I mean, look, we all these days look for deeper meanings in movies. I do too. I, I'm a very big culprit of that. But at some point, there are there do have to be some movies where you can just chill out and watch the movie for the movie's sake. Fast and the Furious. It's just a pure action movie. No insane subplot between multiple universes and multiple franchises of movies. There's just a fun movie to watch with your family, friends, maybe not your family, your friends. And it's just... <laughs> There's no thinking involved. It's nice. It's free. It's relaxing. Mm. It's entertaining. So, I, I would personally say, uh, using uh, in Scorsese's interview, he described cinema as conveying human emotions and complex things. So I would say using his definition, I think that at least recently, most of the Marvel movies have become a very similar plot style and rather repetitive in a way that doesn't tell stories in the same way. Uh, for example, I saw a movie a while ago called Motherless Brooklyn that oh. Edward Norton directed about a... Uh, it was about a detective who had Tourette's whose boss was killed, and he worked to figure out who did that. And I thought that was a much better done piece of cinema than any Marvel movie I've seen recently because it really conveyed this wide range of human emotions in a deep dive into a character... And But I do think Marvel movies have a place. I think they serve the same role in Fast and the Furious and action movies as working to just entertain and take stress off of people. But I don't know if they're necessarily good for the art of movies. Okay. Here's where I'm going to kind of exp- – this is what I think movies should do and this is what I think they were made to do. I think Scorsese has this very evolved idea of a cinema. But let's go back to the base definition of a cinema. It's just a series of moving pictures. And then it became a series of moving pictures meant to entertain, meant to capture the viewer's attention. I don't think that it needs to have a deeper meaning. I don't I don't think that it has to convey human emotion. I think it just has to be entertaining. Okay. I think, well, yeah. Entertainment is the primary objective of cinema. But here's the problem. Marvel movies are basically taking up the top spots in theaters. They're really dominating the most popular movies in America. What does that say about our culture that we value just cheap action so highly when there's like nothing to it but um, expensive special effects? What does that say about our culture? Well, it's that we don't value human connection that much. Exactly. I mean, again... This is all going back in circles. This is where we're basically implying that this is a bad thing, but... As much as we choose to criticize it, people back in the day criticized so many things. So many things that weren't warranted to be criticized. We're acting like this whole reliance on no personal connections whatsoever is a bad thing. We, we don't even know. People are going to look back on our decade and analyze it. We don't know what we're in right now. We look back on time periods and we say these people were wrong for thinking that. We're in a time period where we're thinking that something is wrong for thinking this. Now later, somebody could look back and say, wow, these people were wrong for thinking this. We have no idea what we're doing. That's I guess that's true. I think, though, that movies that will be looked back on in the future and watched are things like Joker that managed to convey this wide range. I thought that did a great job of fusing the comic book roots of the character with this deeper emotion and conversation about mental health and systematic influences in society. I think that's the sort of stuff that's going to last. I think 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe will last to an extent, but I don't know if they'll be viewed as classics in the future in the same way that other movies are. I haven't seen Joker. Is it good? Very good. You know, Very I good. think Joker is actually the most polarizing movie. I it's think, in it's the also the it's really? made. What are your it's the most profitable R-rated movie ever. Oh wow! It, it didn't make really? the most money, but its original budget was about. 60 million and uh-huh. it broke a billion okay here's the thing though joker's marketing campaign was aggressive they actively got the u.s government to say you cannot wear a oh yeah, co- oh, yeah. clown costume into the movie theater. and they didn't let people in without ids exactly to the they, screenings. They, me and jacob may or may not have gotten kicked out of the screening because we did not have our ids oh, i have my id and that's going to encourage people to go because they want to live. Like exactly, that. They, they, want, they, want, they want to they feel. Want to, they want to see this this insane hype that was built up. Yeah. Joker's marketing campaign was possibly the most impressive marketing campaign I've seen in a long time, besides Apple's marketing campaign, which is fantastic. I don't know who their advertising manager is over there, but he's amazing, or she, <laughs> <laughs> but or it, um, they, them, all of the above. Mm, Twenty six. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, I think like what's insane is that. Joker created so much publicity and hype. I think it was bound to break, break records. Oh, I think so. And it's possibly like the most polarizing movie I've seen. People are saying it's either like it's basically dog crap or it's the most beautiful movie of all time. And so like I've never heard anyone say it was average. I came home, my mom was like, "This is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life." I said, "Mom, this is such a good like movie. It, it's so cool." Raj was like, "I fell asleep." <laughs> so, so I mean, the point I'm trying to make here is that. Again, every movie is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. And I think that Scorsese is an amazing director. I, I follow Scorsese. I've written my whole 4,000-word essay on him. probably going to write my doctoral dissertation on him. But um, what, what happens is that these directors create these complexes that they can define what movies are. They can't define what movies are. Every director defines what movies are themselves. When you create a movie, you're making your own definition of a movie. I thought there was a really interesting comparison I read to um, the superhero movies and just the use of gangsters and mafiosos in movies such as The Godfather and things like that. Because that's a whole era of of quite a few movies like that. It's a similar sort of movement that was led by one of the critics of Marvel movies. Yeah, um, so personally... I think that I think it's just based off the audience and what the audience prefers. So, for example, I personally don't like superhero movies or like Marvel movies. It's not my right. type, but I will. I do like movies that have a deeper meaning. For example, Sorry to Bother You. Of course, I, I love oh that movie. Oh my goodness! That and the reason I loved it was because it had so much deeper um, oh, meaning yeah. to it. It not only talked about systemic racism, but also talked about the mental health issues. Drug talked use. about exactly. Yeah. It talked about all those things that make us human and i think that's personally that's what i think movies are supposed to be about it's simplifying and i think literature and arts all types of work they go the same way it's simplifying what makes us human and um, oftentimes we overthink we don't think about the stuff in a a regular basis Mm -hmm. and it just helps us you know break it down um well here's the thing if you're saying what the audience wants let's talk about a movie called silence silence is a movie directed by martin scorsese i think it released in 2016 the main cast included andrew garfield and liam neeson it didn't do super well like it, it didn't do amazing right it wasn't very action-filled it was more questioning religious beliefs and stuff and so due to that like people weren't super into the movie so I think what the audience wanted is more of like they want action like the movie Shutter Island is all about questioning yourself 
It's psychology. It's a, it's a, it's a psychological That's what you wrote extended essay about, right? I wrote about silence and Shutter Island. Oh, cool. Right. So um, this is the thing, is that Shutter Island had action in it. It had a very decent amount of action. And therefore, it did really well. It went down as a cinema legend. But silence, while it, I think it should be a cinema legend, it didn't have action. Like, hardly any. And, and it was more just about questioning yourself, your religious values, what's going on. And it didn't make that much money. Or well, nearly as much money as... Um, as Shutter Island did. So I think what the audience wants is action. They want they want some kind of stimulation. They do, they don't want this psychological introspection that's going to make them question their whole lives because. But at the same sometimes time, sometimes it's scary. I feel like that's an overgeneralization. I feel like there is still a niche market that wants that. Well, For example, the, look at the TV show Mr. Robot. <laughs> And I love this TV show. Have you watched it? It's, I mean, I know the main actor. So basically, it's about um, it's a TV show that uh, essentially about a guy who wants to take down the biggest company in the world, right. and um, he wants and he struggles a lot with mental health issues, etc. Um, but and I personally love the TV show. I think that it's something that. Um, but I, I understand that it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a very very niche audience. Well, here's the thing. There's a TV show like The Mandalorian, which I think. Is a phenomenal TV show. I don't think it's very strong plot wise, to be honest. I'm watching it. Sometimes the plot falters a little, and I, I think that compared to other TV shows, like I, I'd even say like Gravity Falls has a deeper plot than Mandalorian. But Gravity Falls is a very speaking of that. TV show, anyway. Baby Yoda is really cute. Oh my goodness, Baby yeah. Yoda is straight adorable. Gotta go for baby. Oh my goodness. Pratik showed me a little video of Baby Yoda clicking buttons. He does such cute things. He tries like he just makes noises in the back of like episodes. Like it's so cute. He's just like wandering around doing nothing. It's, it's like he eats a frog or two. <laughs> yeah, and he right. somehow yeah. makes that make that looks that makes somehow makes that look cute. Yeah, oh, exactly. they're gonna make so much money on this Baby Yoda. Yeah, merch. it's because of his eyes. Yeah. Oh, his yeah. eyes are so giant. But cool. that's the thing. That's what audiences want. They don't want to think too much. This might be a generalization, but they just want let's dopamine. Look at, let's look they want both, Baby Yoda. I think, for example, music has the same thing, right? That's they're, true. They're both audiences. Like, for example, there oh, is, yeah, we, we talked about this on another one. There's yeah. lyrical, Wait, and then but let's, there's let's also think about the like vast beat. majority. Let's say the lyrical rappers. Let's say a lyrical rapper is Kendrick Lamar. Should we say that? Can we say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. You can okay. say that. Right. Kendrick Lamar is a lyrical rapper. He, he presents his story. He presents other people's stories. Mm-hmm. He's a very lyrics-oriented rapper. Is he as popular as Drake or Travis Scott? No, but I don't think that's something that's. But but I'm not saying that Kendrick Lamar is not popular by any means. He's, oh, he's still definitely he's, he's still sells very records. very popular. But here's the thing with Kendrick Lamar, he his audience is way more dedicated. It's like he has more one, but they are way more dedicated. And they will buy it. Drake and Travis Scott. They have like wide Fleet, range audience. You're saying coming yeah. yeah, okay. I agree with that. They're very fickle minded, and that they. But the, let's say the vast majority appreciates. Hype, placebo. They want, but does action. that translate into longevity? I mean, not necessarily. I think he will be. I think Travis Scott will be very popular for a long time. I think with longevity, if, do you mean like in their lifetime or after? Because I think there are after. a lot of people. If you look in the eighties, there are a lot of people who were very hyped and had some stuff. Who you're? They have no longevity in being known. They may have had hits. But nobody knows them now, and nobody listens to them now. Well, what do you think? Like, for example, like let's say of something like uh, someone like Kendrick Lamar, who has lyrics that are still going to be relevant. Like, for example, even Shakespeare. Like, uh, this is literature again. But uh, Shakespeare, those quotes from Hamlet and everything, all of his literature, 
They're still relevant in today's society. That's why they're analyzed. And you have, like, for example, lyrics by Kendrick Lamar. Do you think they'll still be relevant 100 years from now? Whereas something like Drake. Well, here's the thing. We don't know because Kendrick Lamar could be our generation. Hold up. This is a very, this is just a, this is a hypothetical, okay? When, when Shakespeare wrote that, it was a play. That's all it was, right? Now we're looking at it like, like it's, a, it's, a, it's a study of human psychology. Hundreds yeah, of thousands of years now from now, we could be looking back on rap lyrics. We have no idea. That could be considered poetry. That could be a whole new form. They could literally time this as like, it wouldn't be contemporary at that point, would it? It would have a different name. Yeah. I would yeah. compare this to Bob Dylan, who I seem to bring up most episodes. Um, he did not have as big of a following when he was making most of his music. Uh, most of his popularity and money actually came from people covering his stuff early on. He got the Nobel Prize in Literature recently for his contributions to American songwriting. The and the stuff he wrote is still heard today, like the times they are changing. Stuff like that is still meaningful to people today. And it's just so interesting how that can happen. And the people who covered his stuff, like uh, groups like Peter, Paul, and Mary, aren't heard of now because they didn't contribute as much to this broader understanding of humanity. Yeah, and um, I also think we're going to now transition into some of the, the questions. Uh, and for time, um, I'm just going to ask you guys one question each. Okay. So actually, both of you guys, um, what are your New Year's resolutions and how do you fulfill them? Okay, my New Year's resolutions. One, get into college. I like it. And the way I'm going to fulfill that is go to a college. And uh, another one of my New Year's resolutions is that I want to start working out, and I'm going to resolve that, or actually go through with that by not doing it. There's what? You're not going to do it? There's no way. Just join me in the morning <laughs> at the 24-hour one. Jason, what about you? That's assuming I wake up. Okay, I'm going to give a controversial opinion. I don't think resolutions should be made at New Year's. Well, I mean, first of all, it's the 13th. It's not even New Year's. But even then, I think <laughs> the way to get uh, – this is the second one. How to fulfill a resolution is to start it at the perfect time right after you gain a lot of motivation. Um, it's hard to think of an answer. I think New Year's resolutions promote exactly. this sort of, oh, I'll do it next year. Next yeah. year I'll be better. And I, there are the stats. Most people do not fulfill a New Year's resolution. Most of them will say they'll do it that year, and it does not happen. They do not improve. And I think the best time to make a resolution and improve yourself is right now, just whenever you can. You start doing these things that will help you to become better and just to – be better at what you do, who you are. Michael Jackson said that. It's called Man in the Mirror. Yeah, he did say that. Mm. I thought you were making a joke, but you're serious. Yeah, he did say that. I don't know. I think he might have needed to look in the mirror a little deeper. Oh, boy. Based on those allegations. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, from the Good Way podcast and our two mm. wonderful guests, we would like to thank you guys for you. coming on the podcast. It was fun. And we hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And um, from all of us, happy holidays. Happy holidays. And, and have a great, great break. Happy Bye. holidays. Bye. Thank you. Adios.